listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to episode number 12 of The Music Room. This is Aileen Miracle and um, it's just me today. I'm flying solo today as I talk to you about preparing for the end of the year. So this has been on my mind lately because, you know, spring break is coming up next week. And then after that, you know, we don't have very much longer. And in my district, we actually end, um, I think, right before Memorial Day this year. So kind of early, maybe compared to some of you. When I taught in Michigan, we went until like mid-June, but we also started later. So it's something that's been on my mind lately. So I thought that I would do a podcast all about preparing and planning for the end of the year as a music teacher. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into curriculum, planning your curriculum for the end of the year. I recently had a student teacher, and because, you know, for the last couple of weeks she had taken over my classroom, as I was sitting there watching her, I was able to think about the rest of the year and plan in a way that I don't typically get to. You know, it's I have a pretty busy schedule, as I think a lot of you do, and mine actually might have a little bit more planning than some of you. I've heard some schedules as I've, you know, looked at Facebook group discussions about schedules where some of you don't have any planning at all, and I just feel horrible for you for not having any planning. I do have some planning, but I still have a pretty busy schedule, and sometimes I just don't have time to, you know, really plan out exactly what I want for the end of the year. Now, at the start of the year, I do, you know, what classroom teachers would call scope and sequence. I have my year plan that I do. I will link to a video that I have about creating a year plan in the show notes. And if, uh, as I refer to the show notes in this episode, you can go to www.mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com and then click on podcast and then select this episode and you'll find um, all of the links that I mentioned in this episode. So I do a year plan, which is definitely a big help to me as I plan out my year. And I sit and do that usually in July. I plan out all my year plans for the year. But inevitably what happens is, you know, I'm pretty on track at the start of the year. And then as the year progresses, I end up, I end up behind. It just happens every single year. So then I look at my year plan again, you know, around this time of year, and I, I think, oh my goodness, like what did I get to? What did I not get to? A lot of times there are things that I didn't get to, or sometimes I have gone to a conference or a workshop, but I end up doing something with my students that I hadn't planned because I, you know, just found this fabulous idea that I want to try. So having that year plan in place is a definite help, but then sitting down around this time of year to plan out the rest of your year is also very helpful. Now, a few weeks ago when I sat down and did this, I used a document that I bought a few years ago on Teachers Pay Teachers by a store called Music is Elementary. And it's just like a monthly planning document. I find it really helpful. I will go ahead and link to that in the show notes as well. But pretty much it's like a PowerPoint where you can insert whatever month you're working on. You can edit the, it's kind of like a table that you can fill out. So, you know, you could have, Along the, you know, vertical columns, you can have your class names and the horizontal columns. You can have your, you know, your weeks of the month or vice versa. And then in those boxes, you could put whatever 
you think would help you. So some different things that I've done is I number my lessons um, where I'll do like if it's the 15th lesson of the second grade year, I number it 2-15 or whatever that is. So in the boxes, you could do that. You could have like, you know, 230 or 326 or whatever you're on. You could also list assessment. So if you know that you really need to get to an assessment at some point in the year, then you can just say like composing assessment or solo singing assessment or whatever it is that you know that you want to get to. That has really been helpful for me too. If you're presenting something at some point in the year, like second grade, I want to make sure that I present half note and ray by the end of the year. So I will, you know, I might have like 2-34 present ray or whatever that might be. And that just lets me know that, okay, that's the present Ray lesson. I need to make sure that all my classes get that by the end of the year. And I found that really helpful. Now, in a previous podcast episode, Katie and I talked about curriculum accountability, and we had a link in the show notes to a grading checklist that both of us use that helps us keep on track with assessments. So I actually used that assessment checklist as I was planning out the rest of the year and as I was using this PowerPoint that I'm talking about. And that was also super helpful. It just helped me make sure that I was getting to everything that I needed to by the end of the year. I will link to that again in the show notes. But if you go to bit.ly slash grading checklist, if you're at your computer right now and you want to go ahead and check that out, again, it's bit.ly slash grading checklist, then um, it'll let you like make a copy and add it to your drive. You can't edit it right there, but go ahead and add that to your drive and then edit it however you want. So other things that you can do on that PowerPoint or, you know, whatever document you use to kind of track where you're going to be by the end of the year is you can summarize the lesson. If there's, even if it's not an assessment and it's an activity that you want to make sure you do with your students, you could go ahead and put that in the box. And then like if you have, you know, field trips that you know are coming up for certain grade levels and they're not going to be there or you have testing or whatever, you can put that into the box and just make sure that all of your classes are getting specific lessons that you want them to get by the end of the year. Now, after I say all that, I'm going to go ahead and say you should not feel guilty if you realize by the end of the year you're not going to get to something that you really wanted to. And the reason I say that is a lot of us are K-5 teachers or K-6 teachers, and you probably, unless you're in a traveling situation, you know, you, you probably will have those students next year, and then you can catch them up to where you need them to be, you know, next year. Also, I think, you know, we see them, so many of us see them such a limited time that we really are trying to get to as much as we can get to. And sometimes we need to go a little bit deeper with a concept than we originally intended. Sometimes the kids needed practice with something like so me or whatever that you didn't realize they were going to need that much practice. And so I say no guilt because, you know, they are where they are and you're meeting them where they are. And hopefully you do have them next year and then you can catch them up. And if you don't have them next year, then hopefully you have an open dialogue with the teacher that will have them and you can talk to them about it and explain why you spent a little bit more time on a concept than you had originally planned. All right, so now that we've talked about curriculum, I'm going to talk to you also related to curriculum, but about an end of the year project. This was kind of a new idea for me this year. I had heard the term cornerstone project in my district. Sometimes it's also referred to as a capstone project. 
And I had actually taken a class where we discussed cornerstone projects in detail. So the idea of a cornerstone project is that they're able to showcase to you what they know, and sometimes it's kind of in a messy way. So it's not with like a paper and pencil test, but you know maybe they showcase to you what they know through composing, you know, melodic composition and playing it for you on ORF instruments, or creating an ABA um, project where they're singing a song for A and then they're playing their composition for B and then they're singing again for A or whatever that might be. It can look kind of messy, but it really shows them, it shows you what they know and what they've learned over the course of the year. So I had heard that term before, but, and I have obviously, you know, I've done that kind of thing with my students before, but I really started thinking more deeply about an end of the year project this year in instead of you know just getting to those melodic concepts just getting to those rhythmic concepts which obviously are very important those melodic and rhythmic concepts but what else can they show to you or what how else can they extend their learning so i'll give you some examples of this um, with my second grade i am looking at you know by the end of the year we've been working a lot on ticka ticka and can they compose with ticka ticka can they transfer their composition to a non-pitched percussion instrument? And like in second grade today, to prepare for a composition project, I had a discussion with them about, you know, why should we not end this composition on TT or Ticka Ticka? What's wrong with that? And having those like deeper level discussions about how, well, it doesn't sound final. Well, what does sound final? And then, you know, having us, I had them compose something together and we read through it and then I talk to them about how composers often will look at a, their composition and refine it and you know edit it and revise it so what could we refine or revise with our composition and then students said well I think that that second ticket ticket in the third pattern should be a TT or I think we should end with a rest or whatever and we we're able to refine it so this is great because instead of just you know practicing ticket ticket by reading or just by, you know, copying the rhythms down on paper or on dry erase boards, like they're really thinking through not only what it means to compose with Ticka Ticka, but what does a composer do? How does a composer make their work better? So like I said, those deeper level discussions are great. For third grade, my colleague Emily, who I've talked about before on this podcast, she was my student teacher a few years ago. She has been doing some coding with the third and fourth graders, and I was able to observe one of her, one of her lessons to see what she was doing because I didn't really understand what that meant to code. And it was really cool. She used the Scratch website. I'll link to that in the show notes too in case you haven't heard of it. It's just kind of fun to play around with. But um, I was able to watch her do that, and I realized as I was watching her that I actually used to code when I was um, a kid. I coded with a Texas Instruments big computer. This was, I don't know, like in 1986 or something. I'm dating myself a little bit. But we used to type up like, you know, run 10 and then this whole stream of code, run 20, and then we make this little stick figure dance. So the coding you can do nowadays is much, much cooler. Like if you go to that Scratch website, you'll see some really cool things that you can do with that. But I was able to go and observe her and kind of think through what it means to code and why do we want to have students code. 
and really kind of started having discussions with myself, like how can I extend what they've done with her with coding and how can I extend that into my own classroom? And I'm still trying to figure that out. But even if I just play a little bit and extend a little bit, then it's more than I did before. And I'm, I'm just excited to kind of experiment with it. I do plan on having Emily on an upcoming podcast to talk about coding and potentially talk about STEAM as well, because she's done a lot with that. So if you're you know, really curious as to what all this looks and sounds like, then we will talk about that soon. Um, for fourth grade, I am looking at having students create their own musical program. And it's a whole process, but I realized that you know, I would really like to have kids create their own musical program really at every single grade level, but given that I only see them once every five days for 15 minutes, it's not a whole lot of time. And a lot of times, you know, I pretty much create the program, but then obviously there's student input and I make sure that they have a voice in it. But a lot of times it's really more me kind of putting it together and then they have a voice. Well, the fourth graders just did a program based on the book, the picture book, Drums of Nodohanto, which is a really great read. And they did some bucket drumming and some Japanese folk music like Sakura and Omochio. It was really fun. But I also had them fill out this critique worksheet to talk about what they really liked about their program and what they would change. And it was so interesting to read the responses. And they had some really good ideas of what they would change that I thought, wow, like I, I do want to give them more say. So I have this whole idea and I've broken it down step by step how I would do it in each lesson, like 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there kind of thing. But my idea pretty much is to talk with them about what makes a good performance and then talk with them about what facets were in our program or what facets could be in a musical program, like drumming, like singing, instrument playing, dancing, all of that. And then talk to them about my process when I create a program and maybe create a program kind of like all together as a class. And then give them some time where they can work in small groups and they get a pile of picture books, get to pick a picture book and get to pick, um, you know, all of the songs and in the dances and that kind of thing. So we'll see how it goes, but I'm excited about just starting that process. And I'm sure there will be things that I want to tweak next time we do it. But the really cool thing is if this is done well, hopefully it will be done well enough that I could take their ideas and potentially they could perform that for their fifth grade program. Or maybe we'll take bits and pieces of different ideas or we could take one that really stood out as this was a fantastic idea and then get more stu student input next year in fifth grade because their, their program in fifth grade is actually typically in October. So it would be great to have something that is really student created and then get even more student input. And then my cornerstone or capstone project for fifth grade, um, this is also something that's kind of big and you know we'll see how it goes, but I was originally thinking the students were creating an ABA composition in GarageBand, which I do with them every year, and it's really fun. But I was originally thinking, well, maybe I would do something with StickBots because I had read a blog post by Tracy King, the bulletin board lady, and I can link to that in the show notes as well, about using StickBots with you know, a, a variety of things. But I think one of the things she said was, you know, like, accompanying music with a stickbots video. So I went out to Target and I bought some stickbots and my girls and I have been having a lot of fun with the stickbots. But then I came across the idea 
once I was talking with Emily about coding, of potentially using this little device called a Sphero Mini. I don't know if any of you have heard of, heard of it. I can link to that in the show notes as well. It was like $50. I went ahead and purchased it, and I have had a lot of fun. My husband has loved it. My kids have loved it. It's really fun to play with. It's just like a fun little toy to have in your household. But then I had this idea of maybe I could have the kids program the Sphero Mini because you can code it and have it do different things like turn different colors and roll a certain way and roll this way and that. It's really cool. So my idea was what if we took one of the ABA compositions and had the students as a class, because I only have one Sphero Mini, it would be really cool if I had more than that, but because I only have one Sphero Mini, maybe we could, as a class, you know, each class would get to do a different one, create like almost choreograph or code a routine with the Sphero Mini to go along with one of the ABA compositions. And I tried it on my own. I created an ABA composition in GarageBand and I'm just using loops. And then I coded the Sphero Mini to go along with this. I talked to my husband about it and he's like, oh, I think for each each time the note changes, you should do a different color. So I did that and it was, oh my goodness, it was so fun. I do plan on uh, posting, uh, writing a blog post about this in case you're like, oh, I really wanna see that in action. But that's my idea at this point. Again, a lot of these ideas are really kind of messy ideas. They're really outside of the box. But I really like that idea of ending the year with something that's kind of big and gets the kids really excited and also kind of has some of those, you know, big ideas and essential questions kind of baked into it. So instead of just like, let's read this rhythm, it's, you know, how does a composer refine their work? Or why does a composer refine their work? And how can we use technology to compose music? And how can we use technology to add to a composition? Like those are, you know, much bigger questions. So I'm really excited to dive into that. So again, that's just the idea of like an end of the year project or sometimes called a cornerstone or a capstone project. All right. And and one more thing I want to say about that is if that's something that interests you, and you're feeling like this nagging sense of guilt of, oh my goodness, there's like so much I could do and so little time and how am I supposed to do this? I would suggest maybe just starting small. If you think you could do that with one grade level, like do something that's a, you know, a cornerstone project or capstone project. If you think that you could do that with maybe one grade level, then try it and see how it goes. And then maybe next year, you know, dive into another grade level. You'll notice that I didn't say first grade because I don't plan on doing like anything really big with first grade and I actually don't teach kindergarten this year. Um, So I'm trying it with four grade levels now and I'm going to see and maybe next year I will do one with first grade. So just start small and see where it goes from there. All right, the next thing I want to talk about with end of the year is organization. This is something that is troublesome for me because Digitally, I'm pretty organized. When it comes to physical stuff, I'm really not, and it's really a struggle for me. So a lot of times what has happened is I get so busy with the end of the year, I'm responsible for a few things at the end of the year. I don't have any huge programs. I have like my band and choir concert at the end of the year, but I have this big end of the year slideshow that I have to put together for the whole school, and that takes a whole lot of time. So I'm so busy with that and with inventory and with this and that, that I often, my go-to is just to kind of like throw things in a drawer and I, I don't organize at the end of the year like I want to. 
And then I think, okay, well, I'll get to it at the start of next year. Well, you know how it is at the start of next year. Things are really busy and you're trying to decorate your room and you're trying to put everything together and unpack boxes or whatever. And you just don't get to the organization part of it like you thought you would. I had an interesting conversation with a a former colleague that was a kindergarten teacher that her room was across the hall from me a couple years ago. And, you know, I was talking to her about that dilemma of, you know, I just, I keep thinking I'm going to organize like I want to, and then it just doesn't happen. And she said, you know, some years you'll do it. And some years are just not years that you're going to organize your room well. And I think that gave me a little bit less guilt that, okay, this is just not the year. I'm just not going to get to it this year. But then the following year I decided, okay, this is the year I'm going to get to it. And then what I did at the end of that year is I took like a drawer every day and I just kind of organized it. So like on Monday, I organized this drawer. On Tuesday, I organized that drawer. On Wednesday, I I organized this cabinet or, you know, this small part of the cabinet or whatever. Um, I just organized my storage cabinet and it took me days. So some things are going to take you a lot more time. So, you know, just doing a little bit at a time, I find doing it at the end of the year so that you don't have to worry about it in August for me, that's so much better because it just takes that stress off. That way you can come back to your room and it looks pretty organized and things aren't just thrown into a drawer. So just kind of think about how you're going to organize and what you need to organize. All right, the next thing I want to talk about with planning for the end of the year is thinking about your theme for next year. I know some of you might want, might want to wait until like June or July to do that, but I find it really helpful to just kind of think ahead to the following year. Now, some of you maybe don't use a theme. And again, no guilt. That's totally fine. I do like to use a theme because I think it really kind of gets me excited for the year. And I, I do use a different theme every year because I feel like it's it feels like a fresh new start for me when I have a different theme up. And some of the previous themes I've used this year, I have a travel theme in my room, which I love. I've done a space theme, I've done a bird theme, I have done a monster theme, I've had several different themes, and I actually wrote a blog post about choosing a theme that I can link to in the show notes, but it just kind of helps get me prepared for the year, and I love, you know, just going on Pinterest and whatever theme that is, just kind of like searching that theme and finding ideas, and it just gets me excited especially when you're, you know, in the middle of summer and you're like, oh, I don't want to go back to school. But then you look at all these pretty pictures and you're like, oh, this is exciting. I could try this. You know, it just kind of gets me excited. Interestingly enough, I had decided for next year, okay, I'm going to do a rainbow theme. I think that would be really cool. And I had found a bunch of like really fun pictures on Pinterest of rainbow themes. But then I just listened to a Cult of Pedagogy podcast. If you've never checked out her podcast, you really should. She's a really great educator and podcaster. And she did an episode all about design, like classroom design. Again, I can link to that in the show notes. And it really actually changed my thinking about um, some things that I was doing, but namely about that rainbow theme. They had a comment in there. She was um, interviewing a guest who was an expert about classroom design. And they talked about Skittles throwing up all over the room. And it just made me laugh because here I was thinking, I want to do this rainbow theme. And they, they actually talked about how like blues and greens and tans are much more calming for students. And sometimes we as teachers feel, feel a need to 
put tons of stuff, ton, I should say tons of colorful stuff up on the walls on every inch of the wall. And sometimes that's really not best for kids, especially kids who maybe have sensory issues. So I started thinking about that and I'm rethinking my theme. I think I might go with something that has those colors. Um, and I think actually it's interesting because that travel theme that I have, I have really liked it. And Emily and I were talk talking about this at the start of the year. She said, oh, it's really calming in here. And I said, yeah, I really love this theme. And I think it's because there are so many blues and greens and tans. So I'm thinking about maybe like a forest theme or a water theme, because as I just think about like, what are calming places for me? Where do I love to go? Well, I love to go to, you know, the forest to hike and I love to go to the ocean and that kind of thing. So I think something with those colors might be better for my students. So just something to think about. Um, but, and like I said, no guilt. If you decide you're not going to do a theme, totally fine, but think about, you know, your color scheme and, the setup of your room and are you going to do flexible seating? Where are you going to put your chairs? Where are you going to have your students sit? Just all those kinds of things are good to think about in advance. And then lastly, just reflecting on your year is always a good thing to do when you're planning for the end of the year because it helps you think through like what has gone really well this year, what has not gone as well this year. And then if there's something that you feel like you could have done better this year, well, you still have time. You could still maybe implement something that maybe will go a little bit better in your classroom or will maybe extend the student's learning in a way that you were hoping to. So just looking at my year and thinking about things that, you know, have gone well, I started ukulele or I should say ukulele with my fourth and fifth graders this year. And I've actually really, really enjoyed it. And I had always done recorder with fourth grade. And then um, in fifth grade, they didn't do recorder. But this year I did ukulele with both fourth and fifth grade. And I've really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I've, I've already been thinking about, okay, next year, what am I going to do differently? Or how am I going to extend the fourth graders who already know some of the things on ukulele that I want them to know? What am I going to teach them in fifth grade? When I think about what has not worked well or what I'd like to do better, I taught band for the first time in several years this year, and I had all the instruments, and a lot of it did go well. I um, We have this thing called Tangy Tube in my district where we can upload videos from YouTube and then embed them into Schoology. I don't know if any of you have Schoology, but it's a helpful platform. And I was able to embed a lot of videos and give them as homework, and that went really well. And I also used Kahoot. If any of you have never used Kahoot, you really should. It's really awesome. Um, I will, I can also link to a blog post about Kahoot. And I also just learned about a um, website called Quizzes, which is really similar to Kahoot. And I think I might actually like it better. But anyway, I digress. A lot about band did go well, but I realized that I really I, I honestly, I ran out of time. And so I started off the year really well with all these embedded videos and all this really clear homework for the band students. And then I didn't do as well throughout the year at making sure they were watching videos and, you know, making sure that the homework was clear instead of me just saying, okay, everyone, as they're packing up their instruments, please practice hard rock blues or whatever. Um, I had at the start of the year been much more clear and had put all of that into Schoology. So I think over the summer, I'll want to make sure that I have, 
you know, more of that ready so it's easy for me to give as homework. And the relevancy piece, I have been trying to, you know, make sure that what we're doing in music class is more relevant to their lives, but I know that I can do a better job with that. So that's just something that I kind of have to think about and brainstorm ways to make their learning more relevant to their lives. So, you know, what has worked for you and what has not worked for you, of course, that's going to be individual to you and your students, but it's just something to kind of think about, to have that reflection so that you can go into the end of the year and maybe touch on something that you weren't able to, you know, at the start of the year or think about what you'll do differently next year. And I will, if you're not a part of my chat room, I have like a group called Mrs. Miracle's chat room. I'm going to post a couple discussions in there about what has worked well for you and what has not worked well for you, just so you can post your answers and kind of read other people's responses and, you know, just kind of get your creative juices flowing and, you know, have that collaboration with other music teachers. All right. So today in this podcast, we talked about planning for the end of the year, looking at your curriculum, um, thinking about an end of the year project, also called a cornerstone or a capstone project, thinking about how you're organizing for the end of the year going into next year, thinking about a theme for next year, and just reflecting overall on your year. Hopefully that's been helpful to you as you think about planning for next year. All right, what I am listening to or what I'm consuming, this might be won't be quite as much fun with only me, but I will go ahead and tell you that um, there's a new podcast out called Cocktails and Kodai by Jackie Eckel, and it's a fun podcast. I've actually only listened to like one and a half of the episodes, but she interviews a different Kodai-inspired teacher each episode, and I've only listened to to the, the only one that I've listened to all of is the fourth episode. And uh, she had a teacher named Becky Knox on talking about several different things like technology and choir, but it was really interesting to listen to, just listen to someone else's perspective on, on music education and on Kodai Inspired Teaching. And she had this really cool app that I, of course, had to go out and install. And it was free. It's, I think it's called Chatter Kids. Again, I can link to that in the show notes, but it's a really fun way of having your students do solo singing on iPads in a really like fun and engaging and kind of non-threatening way. So I was super excited to find that. But she has, I think currently she has four or five episodes that uh, you can listen to. And like I said, each one is with a different Kodai inspired teacher. So definitely something to check out. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been helpful. In my next episode, I think I'm going to be interviewing someone that you may have heard of. I'm going to keep that a secret, but uh, someone that I plan, I'm really hoping to interview at the OAKE conference. I'm actually leaving in two days to go to Oklahoma. I'm presenting a couple sessions there, um, one with a panel, the Alliance for Active Music Making, and another with another with my friend Kyla Chuinski about data tracking. And while I'm there, I'm hoping to interview someone for the podcast. And then Katie will be back with us in a couple episodes as well. So I hope this has been helpful and have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.